Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated, and we are going to be in Ruth chapter 3 today. Ruth chapter 3, so if you brought your Bibles with you, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Okay, so right there towards the beginning of the Old Testament. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, there should be one in the seat in front of you and uh, available freely to you on the internet uh, as well. Just Google Bible. Um, so Ruth chapter 3. Um, we, we, we are the third week of our Ruth Sermon series. We've got one more week after this as well. We've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to move quick through the first part of it here to give you a really brief recap. Uh, um, with, the story started with a guy named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Elimelech made some really bad choices, took Naomi to Moab, which is a place where he shouldn't go, uh, and they had two sons who took Moabite wives, which they were told not to do. In the end, Elimelech and his sons died, leaving Naomi in the end alone with one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, who, and they come back to Israel, uh, and, uh, and Ruth has been gleaning in the fields, picking up sort of the scraps in the fields behind the harvesters, uh, and, uh, and by the sovereignty of God, has ended up in the field of a guy named Boaz, and they've started to have some chats together, uh, and Boaz has been taking care of her in a number of ways as well. And so this week, uh, we at the end of chapter 2, uh, in verse 23, it said, She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So the harvests are over now. She's, she's been getting uh, provision from Boaz and from the hard work that she's been doing as well. But now the harvest is over. So what's going to happen with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz as well. So that's where we are. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. So Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? This, uh, this, is, a, this is a prayer that Naomi has prayed multiple times now. Back in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, she said, The Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. She prayed this prayer for her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, before Orpah left and Ruth came with her. She prayed, may you find rest in the house of your husband. So rest here is not just like physical, take a nap. This is shalom. It's, it's fullness. It's provision. It's safety. It's peace. She said, we, do, I, do I not long for this for you? And then she says, is Boaz not our relative, whose young women you were with? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Okay, so what happens after the harvest, they bring in all of the grain, and they're in these big heaps, and there's this, there's this tamped earth uh, that they are, uh, this flat area that they bring all the grain to, and then they're threshing it out. And so there's kernels of grain, wheat, barley, and then there's the, the little light fluffy stuff that's around the outside of it. They take winnowing forks and stick it in, in the big piles, throw it up in the air. The wind blows away the, the 
light, fluffy stuff, the chaff, and leave the grain behind. Um, and, so, uh, and so then they can have pure grain. This is oftentimes a symbol in the Old Testament of uh, of the judgment of God. You can, it's pretty clear. You throw the stuff up in the air, the stuff that's bad gets, gets taken away. The stuff that's good is left there behind. Also, why we don't believe in the rapture. Different conversation, though. Anyway, um, uh, so, uh, so, so that's, that's her revelation, not Ruth. Um, so here they are, threshing out the barley. This was hard, this was hard work. After all of, the, all of the harvesting had taken place, there's still this threshing out here. Now, Naomi keeps calling Boaz their relative. In English, it's translated their relative. There's two terms that are being used here that we need to learn a little bit about to understand the importance of what is about to happen, okay? So when she's talking about our relative, when, when you translate something, um, there's not just a code where A in this language equals B in that language. If you just took uh, high school Spanish, you recognize that, right? That, that there's, a, there's a bit of interpretation in translation um, in what we would call a semantic range. In other words, that, uh, that this is the word in the first language. Well, how do, you, how do you communicate that in the second language? It means kind of this, 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 and this all into one, right? And so this, the, you can look at something like, if I said, I love my wife, you've got a picture of what I mean. If I said, I love pizza, not the same thing, right? Like, hopefully you recognize there's a bit of a semantic range in what love means in those two different things, right? Um, and I do not love my wife in the same way that I love pizza. That would be a very awkward marital relationship, right? Um, and so, so, so in this idea of what is relative here, uh, our relative, there's two words that are translated similarly here. The first is levir, L-E-V-I-R. And it is, it's a word that translates the Hebrew for brother-in-law, okay? So separate yourself a little bit from the modern concept of what a brother-in-law is. This is a much closer relationship. You have to remember that the Israelite people, a lot of their identity was wrapped up in the land and in being the people of God. Because remember, the covenant that God made with his people is that you will be my people and I'll give you a land. There was more to it than that, but that was two of the major parts of it. You will be my people, I will be your God, and I'm going to give you a land. And then in Joshua, when they divide up the land, they divide it up by tribes as well. So the land and the people are very much connected. Land and lineage were a really big deal. And so in this idea of, of the levir is an ancient marriage custom where property and bloodline were kept in the family. So if a man dies with no heirs, the, the, his name and the property of that man were maintained by the marriage uh, by his widow. Um, and his widow would then be married to someone in the family, say a brother-in-law, okay? So this, I, this, this marital custom kept the land that, that they owned and the people together, land and lineage together. This is the levir. The, so the firstborn son would carry then the, the name of the deceased brother and get his lands and his goods, but if there was no firstborn son, then we needed to have a brother-in-law. Now, I recognize one of the first things we look at in this is, in, from our modern context, we start to, to see this as, wait, 
doesn't she get a say in this? Like, does she just have to marry her brother? And I, I recognize there are cultural differences. We do not have time to work through that this morning um, uh, and, and how exactly that works. But what we do need to recognize is that this is actually a command from God for the protection of the widow. Because uh, not only was land and lineage important, but the very individual of the widow, she was in a very vulnerable place in this time as well. If she was not married and had no sons. And so God, um, God made provision for her to make sure that she was cared for, to make sure that the, the men who were around her that were supposed to step up in helping provide and care for her did their job. I need to read this passage to you because this is, I, you need to read your Bible more because this is awesome. Check this out. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, it says this, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. That's what we just talked about. The first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Lineage, land, right? Now, there is an aspect of choice in this, however, but choice with repercussions. Listen to this part. This is great. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. So they're trying to talk sense into him. Hey, this is God's law. She needs to be taken care of. Step up. Do the duty that you need to be able to do, to care for your brother's wife, to care for your family. Come on, let's have some character and step up and do this. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, which sounds really whiny, right? I don't want to marry her, right? And so, so if he says, I do not want to marry her, Listen, you listening? His brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. And that man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Read it. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Like, for me, being from the coast... No sandals sounds like an awful, awful way to live. Um, but do you see, he's humiliated. His, he has, she spit in his face, took off his sandal, and then from then on, like he, anywhere he walks, oh, you're from the family of the unsandaled, right? Because this is shame that he's not taking care of his family and his brother's family, not doing his duty towards God. So this is a big deal, this idea of the levir. So you see this in community. There's an obligation in this relationship, and there is an element of choice, but that choice also has repercussions with it. Okay, so levir. Now, there's one other name, the other word that is, is mixed up in this, this word of, of um, isn't he a close relative of ours? And that is the goel. Okay, so the levir is to prevent the land and people from being separated from the family. Covenant and continuity. Whoops, a little book fell. Sorry, Jeff, I dropped your book. Um, that, uh, and so the goel is, uh, is when in a situation where there, the continuity has been broken. Say someone gets in a whole lot of debt 
and they have to sell their land to get out of debt. Or, it was custom then as well, you could sell yourself into indentured servanthood, into slavery, in order to try to pay off your debt. And so, if, that, if the, line and the land and the lineage is broken in that way, someone else can come in. The goel can come in. It's oftentimes translated the kinsman redeemer. Okay? And he can then, he has the right by God's law to buy that land back and buy that person back from slavery or indentured servanthood. He is redeeming them. He's buying them back from slavery, buying them back at a price of, of his, own, his own cost. He's bringing them back into the family, restoring them to the land, restoring them to the covenant of God in many ways as well, that when that continuity is broken, that the goel can come in to bring redemption. And this keeps the land and the people in the covenant of God. And this is why Naomi was so excited back in chapter 2, verse 20, when we, were looking, uh, when we looked at that. And she said, uh, may, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, this man in, in, the field, in whose field you are working is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So Boaz has the legal authority to provide family and heirs and protection. Now, this is a short leap to understanding Jesus. Jesus is the one who redeems. Jesus is the one who, when that continuity is broken in our relationship with God, when we are what the New Testament calls in slavery to sin, that Jesus, at his own cost, redeems us, buys us back into the relationship with God and into his people. Our God is the God who redeems. More on that in just a minute. So, here we go. Verse 3. Naomi says this to, to Ruth. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. There's a, t- a good time for every conversation, right? Wait until he's got a full belly, cold beverage, um, to, have, uh, to have this important conversation that you're about to have. That's not manipulative. That's wise. Right, like when when I'm going to have a, a, a an important conversation with my wife, I want to make sure that it's after she's eaten, right? Because bef- before it, it goes badly um, for us all. That was the that was the 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 first advice that her mom gave to me when we got married was make sure you feed her um, appropriately. Was, I thought I was buying a gremlin, um, and uh, and so um, so <laughs> so make sure that that her that his belly is full, he's relaxed then it's going to be a good time for this conversation. She says, verse 4, But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Okay, so there's a party at the end of the harvest, and they're working out the grain, and the the workers and the the people who own it, like Boaz, uh, would actually sleep near their piles of grain to make sure that no one came in and stole it. So there was a party, and they would have some alcohol there as well, they'd have some feasting there as well, and they would sleep next to these piles to protect them as well. So Naomi is telling her to go down after Boaz goes to sleep, take his blanket off his feet. We're going to talk about that in just a second as well. And then she says this, 
Go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, think about this, friends. She's walking there in the dark. There's a whole bunch of tired, sweaty people there. This is a very, very vulnerable position for Ruth. And then she goes and uncovers Boaz's feet. And Naomi said, he will tell you what to do. Naomi, I mean, sorry, Ruth is in an extremely vulnerable position. Why would her mother-in-law tell her to do this? Because they trust Boaz. Because of his character. It keeps coming back to this. Of his godly character. How he has proven over and over again his generosity, his, uh, his faithfulness to the commands of God, his, uh, the way that he treats people fairly and justly, the way he is pursuing righteousness. As we said last week, they can predict his behavior based on his expression of godly character that he has shown up to that point as well. Is this true for you? Man, this should sting us. It should, it should hit us right in the heart. Can people predict your godly behavior? Can they trust you because they have seen your pursuit, your hunger, and your thirst for righteousness? Have they seen how you treat people, how you work justly? Have they seen that and therefore trust you when they are in extremely vulnerable situations? This should be our aim as a Christian because we long to be like Christ. And if there is one person that we should be able to trust in our most vulnerable, it is Jesus himself. And we should reflect him in the same way that Boaz has reflected him as well. The character is not something that we talk about a lot as a culture. Our culture talks a lot about being governed by our lusts and our hearts and our dreams and what you want to do and what you feel like doing. But what should govern us is godly character that comes from repentance and belief in Jesus and then the guidance and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It comes from us knowing the word of God by which we see everything else and by which we judge everything else as right or wrong. It is by following the word of God in community with one another where we learn to be like Christ and therefore can express this kind of character where people can trust us in the way that they trust Boaz. Men or women, can people trust you when they are vulnerable because they have seen your godly character? And if when I say that, if it makes you twist a little bit inside and say, I don't know if people can describe me that way. Well, friends, this is a story of redemption. This is a story of how God takes all of the past and redeems it and changes it and makes a new future and a new way of being. That's at the heart of the gospel that we believe and that we preach in this church is that wherever we have come from, wherever it is that we are, that, we are, that Jesus, who, who, uh, who Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of all time, said Boaz, or Jesus is our great Boaz. He's the one who redeems. And so, friends, if you say, no, I don't think that people can think of me that way yet, come to Jesus. Trust him in your most vulnerable state and see how he redeems. So Ruth has come to him 
It says in verse 5, she replied to her mother-in-law, all that you say I will do. And so in verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly. I like that, like, like a ninja. She came in like, she, she came in softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. I love the Bible, right? Like, it's like, it's a, can you just see me rolled over? And he's like, uh, what is that? There's some kind of lump. Is the cat on my feet? Was it? Oh, hey, a woman. Is that my feet? How did that happen? So he said, so he said naturally, uh, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. First of all, it's not that he didn't necessarily recognize her. It's pitch black, okay? He didn't be like, who are you? He can't see. Um, because it is it is dark. We were in Rwanda a few weeks ago, um, a month or so ago now, and uh, we had to, to walk from from up the top of this hill down to the bottom of the hill where we're staying. And we take streetlights for granted here. Um, when it's dark there, it is dark there. We're walking down the street, it is pitch black, right? And so she is at his feet in the pitch black. So let me explain what is happening here in the dark. This is this pleading, wonderful moment. She's been through some stuff, the death of her husband and her father-in-law, carrying the responsibility of her aging mother-in-law. She's moved to a strange place. She has no friends. She has no hope for a future. She's struggling financially. She's been working herself to the bone and is exhausted. She's confused a little bit about her relationship with a man, I think, too. She's trying to gain some clarity there. And she's a little bit dragged up, beaten up, maybe some depression in here. Maybe we can all relate to where she is at this moment. And she's coming to the one man who can make up for all of that. Because of his position in the society, because of his relationship to her, because of the, uh, because of the law, he is the one who can change all of that. And so in a symbolic move, she dresses up, she washes, she puts on her cloak, she anoints herself. She's not seducing him. That's not what's happening here. She's coming as something of value. When, when we come uh, to others and we brush our hair, we put on our suit, whatever else, we don't do that necessarily to just show how great we are, but, but to respect the people that we're coming to as well, to say, you're worthy of me coming at my best as well. And so she's not, she's not trying to be manipulative here. She's coming to him out of respect for him and out of respect for herself as well. And she comes to him and lays at his feet. And then she uncovered his feet. What is that about? Well, some commentators would say this is actually, this is a seductive move that she like took off part of his cloak. I don't believe any of that. Um, that I think she uncovered her feet, his feet, just like the, uh, the scripture says. And it serves two purposes. One, his feet get cold, so he's going to wake up, right? That's smart, because she needs to have a conversation with him. Uh, and so, so she uncovers his feet, but there's also something very symbolic about this, because she's pulled back his blanket off of his feet, and when he wakes up and he sees her, she says, I am Ruth, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over me. Now, this points back to, this is symbolic here, because in Numbers 15, the Israelites were commanded to wear a particular garment, a prayer shawl. And the corners of that are called a kanaf, 
Okay? And so Numbers 15 says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So he's just commanded them here to have a prayer shawl on, and on the corners, the, the, the kanaf, on the corners, there was a tassel. And the tassel was to remind them of the commands of God. So as they walked around and their tassel hung down, they could feel the tassels in their hands to remind them of the law of God. Another word for kanaf or corner is wing. So when she says, I am Ruth, your servant, spread your wings over your servant, she's saying, take those commands of God, the commands of God that say that you are a redeemer and can make up for the wrongs that have happened to me in my life and can care for me, all of those commands from God, that tassel on the end of your garment, fling it over me. Let me be protected by your holy and righteous God who I have pledged myself to as well. Our God is holy. Step into the way that God has called you to live as well. Later in Malachi, there's a prophecy about the son of righteousness. The Messiah, the Christ who is to come will have healing in his wings. And then in Mark chapter 5, a woman with a disabling health issue says, if I can but touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I'll be healed. And she grabs the kanaf and the tassel on the end of it, and she's healed. There's healing in his wings. And Ruth is saying, throw your wings over me. Let me be safe under the commands of God. Jesus, our great Boaz, when our past is dirty, sad, and confusing like Ruth's, it's Jesus who gives us a future, a home, where we find healing in his wings, where we come to the threshing floor, vulnerable and alone in the darkness, aching, wondering how the future could ever be bright. We find safety under the wings of Jesus. We find forgiveness, we find value, we find safety and provision, meaning and worth. There is healing in the wings of Jesus, just as Ruth has come to the wings of Boaz. And we're going to see that this healing that Boaz is going to bring, I don't mean to give away the end, but it turns out well. This healing that he's about to bring comes at a great cost to himself, just in the way that it cost Jesus his very life to redeem us. In the New Testament, friends, the church is called the bride of Christ. Ruth is coming to Boaz and saying, make me your wife, redeem me. We come to Jesus saying, make me your wife, redeem me. Bring me in to your people. And it's all about the person. Why could Ruth do this with Boaz? Because she trusted him because of his righteousness and his goodness do we believe that Jesus is the same?
can we come to him in this vulnerable state for him to heal and to redeem? Here's another amazing thing with this, friends, is that what's about to happen here with Boaz is an answer to Boaz's own prayer. Listen to this we read last week from chapter 2 and verse 11. Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He prayed that prayer for her. May you find refuge under the wings of the God that you have pledged yourself to. And then she comes and lays at his feet and says, throw your wings over me. God works through his people. Boaz prayed for this for her and finds that God is actually wants to use him as his agent to do that provision and give that provision for her. All right, so she's at his feet. She says, throw your wings over me. Verse 10, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So he says to her, What he's saying is that, he said, this kindness, this last kindness is greater than the first. What he's saying is she hasn't followed after the desires of her own heart and just tried to find some handsome young guy to be with, but that she is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He's not a young guy, and she's come to be with him. It's very possible that she's not a young woman. They were 10 years in uh, in Moab as well. Who knows how old she was when she got married. This might be uh, in their in their culture uh, older people uh, that are talking about marriage here as well. And she has not chased after the young people but she's chased after him. And what he sees in her all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Just as his character has prevailed, so has hers. What he sees in her is not just physical beauty. He sees in her a worthiness, a character in her as well. And Proverbs talks a lot about this. It says in Proverbs Proverbs 12, it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones telling you, the Bible's fun to read. Um, and, uh, and so when it, this, this that is translated excellent wife in the New Testament, I mean, sorry, in the, um, in the NIV, the New International Version is translated a wife of noble character. That's that semantic range that we were talking about. So an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. When Karen and I got married, as a private side note here, since it's just you and me um, and no one else, um, and you online and whoever else, that um, uh, in, in the inside of her ring, I had inscribed, you are my crown, because she is an excellent wife, as long as you feed her, but the excellent wife all, all around. And so, so, she, so this, is a, this is a noble and worthy woman, and, and And Boaz is shocked and blessed. His character, his righteousness has borne fruit and has attracted Ruth to him as well. He trusts her, she trusts him because of this godly character that they share. If you are struggling in your marriage, pursue the Lord. 
that's how we fix our marriages. That's how we find common ground. That's how we learn how to argue, and we learn how to praise, and we learn how to love, and we learn how to have patience, and we learn how to have kindness, and we learn how not to hurt one another by pursuing the Lord. You can read all the marriage books you want, and they can be good. But the ones that are good tell you that the way that you find wholeness and health in your marriage is by pursuing the Lord together. He's the place that changes your hearts to love one another and to love him more as well. So, there's a twist in this story. This is all romantic, right? I mean, this is, this is great. Um, this, is, this is really good. This is Boaz and Ruth are finally starting to get together. Like, we're, we're see, it's, it's starting to come together, eating our popcorn. This is really fantastic. But there's a, there's a twist. He says in verse 12, now it is true that I am a redeemer. She's like, oh, good. I'm glad I didn't make that mistake. That would have been awkward. Um, and then he says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There's someone else in line in front of him. No, like Ruth is supposed to be with Boaz, right? I mean, how this this can't happen. There's this twist, and then then Boaz seems to say this really funny thing that through our lens. That let me help us unpack a little bit. It says he says, "Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." Okay, so. We're like, what? Boaz? That was not romantic. <laughs> what just happened there? He's like, if he'll do it, fine. If not, I guess I'll do it. That's not what he said, okay? First of all, if the other guy was going to do it, he should have already done it. That's why here Boaz, that's why she's coming to Boaz. If, this, if it was Boaz's, if he was first in line, knowing his character, he would have done it. He would have redeemed her already, just like he was supposed to. But there's someone else that was supposed to who, who is not doing what he's supposed to do. He is from the family of the unsandaled, right? <laughs> that he is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And so what he says is... We have to pursue the law of God, and the law of God says it's his duty, and we have to trust God in that. If he's willing to do that, that we trust that is God, what God wants for us. But Boaz knows that's not what's going to happen, because he would have done it already. And this is going to be cost. You've got to take on a wife. She comes with a mother-in-law, right? Um, and, uh, and, and she's going to come to the pit. You've got to feed them all. You've got to care for them all. And so this other person is just kind of not looking at her. But Boaz goes, all right, we'll, we'll bring this up before the gates tomorrow, just like we're supposed to, just like it told us to in, in Deuteronomy. We'll, uh, we will we'll bring this to the gates, and if he'll do it, great. If not, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. He's got some tricks up his sleeve that we're going to find out in just, in just a minute. But he's doing this in a righteous and godly way. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. So it's still dark. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He's trying to protect her reputation here as well so that people don't get the wrong idea of what's happening. Because prostitutes would come to the threshing floor. Um, and he didn't want her, it'd be an easy leap for people to go, oh, right, the Moabitess, right? We know how those Moabites are. Uh, and she needs money. And, uh, and so she's going to go down and make some money uh, at the threshing floor. And he's trying to protect her from that. This isn't sneaky. He's trying to say, we don't want your reputation to be tarnished. He's looking out for her. And then verse 15 says this, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? 
And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. A few things here. One, he throws the cloak over her, right? He puts it over her to find healing in the wings. And in that cloak is a deposit. He's sending her back with a deposit of his provision. When he says, you don't want to go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed because she's wondering how Ruth is going, what, what's actually being said. And when she comes back with all of this grain, that is a down payment to say, I'm going to provide. I'm going to step up. You can trust me. Here's the deposit that I am making. Quickly, we, again, we can jump to Jesus and the work of salvation in the New Testament because the New Testament talks about us receiving a deposit of our salvation, and that is the Holy Spirit. That one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where we will look in the eyes of Jesus himself. One day there will be no distance. We will fully know even as we are fully known, it says in the scripture. One day that is going to happen, but that we've been given a seal and a deposit now, and that is the presence and the power of God in our midst and the Holy Spirit. I will provide, I will redeem. One day it will happen in full. Here is a deposit now. Jesus is our great Boaz. Verse 18, this chapter closes with this. Wait, my daughter. You can, almost, you can almost see Naomi sort of half smiling in this. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So Naomi's got some wisdom. She trusts Boaz. Ruth's like, I don't know. Should I call him? Am I allowed to call him? Can I text him? Is it, do you have to, is it a rule like three days that I have to wait? Is that okay? How, when am I supposed to re-engage? And Naomi's like, trust. Trust. I know that things are still up in the air right now, but come back to the character of who Boaz is. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So what's going to happen? Well, I guess you should come back next week and find out because we're going to finish Ruth next week. But what we can see in all of this is the joy of what is happening to both Naomi and Ruth. The name of the book is Ruth, but so much of what is happening here is actually about Naomi who at the beginning of the book has lost all faith in her husband and uh, in an authority and in she thinks God has rejected her. And by this point in the book, here she is on the, on the threshing floor or sending Ruth to the threshing floor, the place that is a symbol of God's judgment. Is he good? Is he not good? And there she's finding redemption. And she's finding answer to her prayers that she screamed out in agony. Shouldn't I just hope that you find safety in your husband's home? Yes. You find safety under the wings of God, under the, under the kanaf, under the, the tassels of the law, under the grace of Jesus Christ, in, as a part of his people Israel and out of, as a part of his people the church. This is a story about redemption and about the people of God being who the people of God are supposed to be and in doing so, God redeeming the world through them. May we be this kind of place. May we be these kind of people. And may you find redemption under the wings of Jesus and a home in his church. And we'll see how it all turns out next week. Pray with me. 
Lord, what an amazing story. What an amazing, uh, what an, what an amazing work you have done in the people of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. We're excited, Lord, to see what happens next. And I pray that that anticipation of this story, of, of the joy of seeing the redemption of Ruth and Naomi and us being on the precipice of seeing how it comes to its fulfillment, Lord, let us approach our life in Christ in this way. With, with an excitement and anticipation of seeing it come to its fulfillment in your return, in the new heavens and the new earth. And just as we have so much hope right now in our story for Naomi and for Ruth and for Boaz, let us have so much hope even in the midst of suffering in our own lives as well. That you are the God who redeems. Let us wait to see how the matter turns out, for you will not rest until the matter of our salvation is settled. Give us great joy, great hope, great anticipation. And let us find salvation and healing in your wings. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.